Let me uh, add my welcome to everyone else's. My name is Eric Hoffman, the campus pastor here at Fellowship Franklin. If, if you're new uh, here, we have a, a teaching rotation that we, we go through with our teaching pastors. Then about eight to ten times a year, I get to, uh, to step in and, and, and teach as well. So I'm, I'm glad you guys are here. I want to tie in with, um, in this gospel series, week three, what Rob said last week of where he went, that according to the scriptures, all of the scriptures were pointing to the work of Jesus. And in light of that, we read the Old Testament and the New Testament, the work and life of Jesus interprets the Old Testament that everything was grace and that everything was pointing to the work and life of Jesus. This uh, when, I, when I first discovered that, it changed my perspective. And I want to uh, recommend a book for us as parents, grandparents, um, and for us just to grow. Show Them Jesus. It's, it's Teaching the Gospel to Kids. It's, it's called Show Them Jesus, Teaching the Gospel to Kids. Connie's uh, given it to uh, a lot of her staff. They're, they're going to start walking through it. Some teachers are going to start walking through it as well. But it is, a, is an opportunity uh, in this book of showing you as parents, how do you uh, read David and Goliath to your kids? It's not about being brave like David and like mustering up the courage to do that. It's foreshadowing that Jesus was going to be the one who would rescue his people who couldn't save themselves. So every story is interpreting what Jesus would do on the cross for us. And it's, it's just a beautiful book that, that shows you. I'd also like to just encourage you, just as the direction we're heading, parents, you are the main disciples in your kids' lives. And so I want to, we want to equip you in that, in that route. And then also we have opportunities every Sunday in the Learning Center to teach and come alongside parents uh, to teach the gospel to our kids. So if you, if you have that availability, we have some spots open to, to teach and fill in that room. Um, I want to jump in. Uh, what we just read, the, the scripture we've been looking at, 1 Corinthians 15. If you want to turn with me, it'll be up on the screen as well. But we're just going to be looking this morning at the, really the first two verses of 1 Corinthians 15. Where Paul says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel which I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So Paul is reminding the church of Corinth, he's reminding them of the gospel, what he says is of first importance, but he's also going back to something that he's already done. He's already preached the gospel to them, and they've already received the gospel. So these are believers that Paul is preaching the gospel to. So he preached, past tense, they received, past tense, and now in which they stand. Stand is this perfect tense of this verb that is saying that when we stand in this, it has past implications, but it has present realities and future implications. So the gospel in which we stand is not just something that we've done once. It's not just something that we did in our past, but it's something that actively changes us, that we're continually to put our faith and trust in. The gospel of Jesus is, is not just something that happened, but that is happening and is saving us. So Paul comes back and he says, this is where you guys are going astray. You have forgotten the gospel in which you are to stand. And you have shifted to stand on something else, which is causing you to live in all sorts of different ways, what we've talked about in this series. The thing that you need to do is come back to what you stand. Paul is reminding them that the good news of Jesus, that he lived the life, the perfect life that we couldn't, that he paid for our debt that we couldn't pay, and he did this on our behalf. 
Ephesians 2.20 says that Christ is our foundation. He is the cornerstone in which we are to stand on. So this morning, I'm reminding us as a church, the church of Franklin, as Paul would address us, the church to believe and trust and stand firm on the gospel, those who have, yet, who have believed. And then a call to those of you who have not yet believed, a call to stand firm and trust Christ. What Paul is saying here. I believe if I was going to rephrase with the question that he's asking is, what is the foundation of your life built on? It's the core question that I think he is asking in this way. And, and I'm going to shift it a little bit even more. What has your functional trust? For many of us, the functional trust has shifted. It's just something that we do. Let me give you an illustration of this. Um, I grew up with a terrible fear of heights. Like I had a phobia. And, I, and, and those of you who have phobias know exactly like how fearful we can get around things. My friend had just gotten this, uh, his dad is just building this tree fort. And what looked like to me was like as tall as the Empire State Building. Now I like go back to my parents' house and it's like eight foot off the ground. It's like not very tall at all. And I remember like he's so excited to like take his friends up in the tree house. And I'm terrified, you know. So like I go over to his house and and, you know, if you, if you have, uh, like, a phobia like this, you just start shaking and you, your body gets all tense and then beads of sweat just, like, start popping up everywhere around you and you're just, like, immediately drenched. It's, like, winter, but I'm, like, sweating, you know? And so I, I climb up the tree, the tree house with them and they're all like, oh, isn't the view amazing? And I'm, like, down in the corner with my eyes closed. Yeah, it's great, guys. It looks so awesome. You know, I'm, like, just waiting to, like, get down. And then, like, this really, like, was, it was, like, all, all my life, you know, like, really struggling with this. And eight years ago, we were in Tuscaloosa, and I was a student pastor at, the, at this church down there, and we, uh, we were redesigning the sanctuary. And I was, I was kind of in charge of that, and I, lucky me, I got the one who's uh, going to change out some light fixtures. And so uh, our ceiling here is about, like, 26 feet high. This was, like, 38 feet high, so add another 12 feet on top of that. And so to do that, you had to like rent this boom lift. And so the boom lift that we rented is one that you could operate like when you're, you know, up there all the way. And so like it was fully extended to get there. And so the first day I'm on there, I had like 30 or I don't know how many light bulbs I had to change. But the first day I literally changed three light bulbs the entire day. And the reason why is because when it's fully extended, the thing swayed. I mean like several feet, both directions, you know. And every time I would move it just a little bit, it would be like, er, 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 you know, and, I, and so I'm like holding, I literally have one hand on this, gripped on this, and I can reach the rafters. And so I'm holding onto this and like trying to do work, which doesn't really work. We you know you need your hands to do stuff. And so like, I'm just like sweating profusely. So I go home and I realize I have to turn this lift back in in like six hours and everyone's going to be like, hey, we paid a couple hundred bucks for this lift and there's only three light bulbs changed. Isn't really going to work. And so I, I realized I had to shift and believe and trust that this thing was actually going to hold me. And I just, had to, I just had to like, just trust that the metal platform, what it was designed to do was going to hold me. And I made a conscious decision to shift my trust into that. And before lunch, I changed 27 light bulbs. Now this isn't like, yeah, Eric, woo! You know, like, it, but really, the reality is, I want to make this uh, switch to the spiritual application of this. The reality is that many of us have a functional trust in the gospel. Like, Jesus, we, we've, we trust you with our soul, but our everyday, everyday life, we don't trust him. Like, our functional trust is in something else. And what it does is it limits our experience 
of life with him. It looks more like bondage than it does freedom. A couple weeks ago, we took our staff over uh, to soar. And, and here, here's me, like literally swinging 50 feet up off the ground. And the only reason that I'm able to do that is because I trusted that the cables were going to hold me. Now, someone call that insane, right? And some, and, but like I was having the time of my life up there. Now, still sweating profusely and all tense and everything. But that image, I wanted to give it the parallel between picture me eight years ago, freaked out, swaying side to side, 36 feet high. And then now 50 feet above, I'm enjoying life. And it looks more like freedom than it does bondage. And so that's going to be the comparison of what we're going to be looking at today um, as, we, as we kind of walk through. So where is your functional trust? Michael said last week, all of, us must, all of life must flow from an understanding of what the gospel is and what it means. This morning, my aim is, is really to talk about how the gospel, when we trust the gospel, how it shifts and changes all of our life. What are the implications of the gospel? See, when our security is in with, within ourselves, it produces a great insecurity. It produces anxiety. So when we put our functional trust in something else, if it's our career, it, whether our kids are doing what they're supposed to do, whether they're obeying us, uh, whether we have a certain amount of money in the bank account, whether our career, you know, whatever it is, whether we have this person's approval, whatever it is, we are going to be rooting our identity in that. So when things are going well, we're, we're feeling good. But when we don't have the approval or things aren't going well, we're, we're down here. And it just feels like a roller coaster ride. But that's not how we're meant to live. So I want to recap with you from week one when Lloyd was talking about the difference between justification, sanctification, and glorification. These, these words, I want to unpack them a little bit. Justification is when we actively put our faith and trust in Christ and what he did for us on our behalf on the cross, that he paid the price that we couldn't, lived the life that we couldn't, and he did that for us. We are justified when we put our trust in them. We are justified. We are made right with God. We are reconciled to God. We are made new. We are adopted. We are his children. And then glorification is at the end of uh, when, when God makes everything right again and we actually join him. He's going to glorify us and do this work in, in us and make us perfect the way that we are intended to be, fully restored, recreated. That is the glorification. But in between that, when we first come to put our faith in Christ and the end, the glorification, then is the sanctification, our everyday life of obedience and disobedience. Now, many of us have gotten sanctification confused with our assurance of salvation. We tend to base what we do every day based on our assurance. And so when you get those confused, what does that end up looking like? Well, I'm doing really well in my personal life, so therefore God accepts me and loves me. But I screw up and therefore God is disappointed and he looks down on me with disappointment. And so it's up to us, what Dave talked about, of the scales of justice. Like, do we, we're the wrong that we do, we have to overcompensate it with the right that we do, and it's focused in on us and what we do. Now, that was, that was my story. I had shifted my trust over years to more about my performance. And there's, a, there's an illustration, a, a cycle that I want to talk about of, like, how this looks, called the pride-shame cycle. And this is really just kind of exposing a, a little bit of where we tend to do this. So we throw this, throw this image up here of the, of the cycle, the pride-shame cycle. 
when we, um, when we focus in on what we are doing, it's based and centered in us. What it looks like is that we have pride of ourselves. We know what we're supposed to do and we do it. We're filled with pride. But then when we know what we're supposed to do and we don't do it, we go to shame. There's unworthiness. And then so when we're, when we're filled with the shame and the guilt, we have two options. We can either detach, like no one can live up to these standards, or we go to trying harder. Like I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps, white knuckle it, and then, and then when I do, when I white knuckle it, I read more, I pray more, I do more, what ends up happening? I feel pride. This is just a cycle that has continued in my life. For so long, I lived, I had like this standard, this ideal Christian of what I was supposed to be, what I was supposed to look like. And so I would, I would base my performance and worth on this. And so I'd feel pride when I was doing all the things that I thought I was supposed to do to, to live this out. And then shame when I wasn't. And then my tendency was, well, I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to read more. I'm going to do more to earn, earn back God's acceptance. It was exhausting. And then someone pointed out to me, this is what I was doing. And I want to I show this analogy in a, in a couple of different ways. I have this, um, this balance board. Um, it's like an exercise torture device, I think, is what they call it. But this is, this is really, honestly, an analogy of what we end up doing. When we try to base our worth identity on those things, now get your iPhones out. This might be like where your pastor dies or something. When we try to base it on us, we are constantly fixated on what we do or don't do. We're trying to like counterbalance everything. Tim Keller says it this way, without the gospel, we have to self-manufacture our worth, identity, and value in something temporary. And so this looks like by us comparing and contrasting with others. We're trying to measure up by what others do, or, or uh, we're trying to like say, okay, this, I'm better than this person. I've got it more together than this person, so I'm doing okay. Or we're contrasting ourselves and saying, well, I must do more because I'm not quite there at their level. And this feels like it's insecure. It's anxious. But when I'm doing well, when I finally get perfectly balanced, I feel pride. But when I, when I fall off, I'd feel shame and just try harder. And it's just constantly, and it's exhausting. The Christian life here does not feel like rest. It feels like anxiety, performance, trying harder, anger, shame, guilt. This, this is not sturdy. Because when I forget that the gospel is the work that has been done, the good news, it's not focused on me, it's on what Christ did. The gospel says that our foundation is on the cornerstone. This block that I'm standing on is secure. It's not based in what I do, but what Christ has done. I am no longer worrying about the foundation that my life is built on, whether I have it or don't. It stands secure. This, when I put my faith and trust in what Christ has done, the good news, over here is good advice. Good advice is saying, um, I know that there's still something for me to do. It's Jesus, I, I know what you did was good, but it wasn't good enough. I still have to do my part. That's what we're actually saying over here. But here we're resting 
and saying, this is a work that has been done for me. I can stand on this, that I am loved and accepted, not on the basis of what I do, but what Christ has done for me. I am in Christ. It's not based on my performance. It's based on what Christ did. It's his life, not my life. The two couldn't be more opposite of how to live. This just produces, honestly, it's exhausting living this way, but how many of us have rooted our identity in our performance? How many of us, even this morning, walking in, felt the shame or the guilt or detached or we're going to try harder or now I'm going to get my fix this morning and then go back in? So this, standing on the, on the cinder block, Paul so clearly points out the gospel is about the work and life of Jesus and receiving it. We need to shift our focus from ourselves to what Christ did. Now, Paul, in Romans 5, if you have your Bibles, when you turn to Romans 5, we're going to look at another passage that Paul talks about, where he talks about standing firm. What we stand on matters. I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 2, and then 5 through 11. So this is Romans 5, and then we'll read 1 through 2, 5 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So how do we have peace with God? It's through faith. Faith in who? Christ and what he has done. And it's all centered on grace, not our performance. And we stand in this. So we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might dare, possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through his life, through his death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let me just unpack that just a little bit. We are justified by faith in Christ because of what Christ has done. So our peace comes not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done on our behalf. So it's through grace, not on our efforts or works, but through grace alone that we stand on this. And that it's a step of faith, putting our faith and trust in him. And when we do, the Holy Spirit is indwells us and then pours out God's love in us, reminding us that we are his children. We are now stepped from being outside of God to being called his children. We are adopted. And he did all of this, not while we were, not while we, we earned it or we did enough or based on us. It was based and rooted in his love because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
So God demonstrates this great love for us, not when we pick ourselves up and make ourselves presentable to God, then God loves us, but God loves us before we even could love him. In other places, it says that we were enemies of God, that we were in rebellion towards him, that we could not earn his love. And so it's in that place that God initiates towards us and loves us and provides a way through Christ to be reconciled to him. So religion is man trying to be good enough, trying to do enough, trying to earn enough to present it to a God and hoping that it's enough. And it's constantly insecure of where it stands, of where we stand. That's religion. But that's not the gospel. The gospel, as earlier in Romans, Paul talks about it as this this gospel, it is revealed, this righteousness is revealed from God to us that we would receive. So God demonstrates this love for us. He initiates towards us while we were yet in sin and broken from him, apart from him. He initiates towards us and he lives the perfect life by sending his son under the law. He perfects his life and then he gives his life for us so that we might be reconciled. The only thing that we can do is step into that reconciliation by grace and receive it. So the gospel is that God initiated towards us. He does everything that we need to do to be reconciled and we receive this work. And when we receive this work, we embrace it for ourselves that he did it on our behalf. That Christ lived the life we couldn't, that he died in our place instead of us on our behalf. When we receive that and embrace that, we become children of God. Now, we are indwelled with his spirit. So even, so if we place our faith and trust in Christ, we'll become children of God. But then, this is, this is the interesting, we are adopted as his children. We are his. But many of us, even though we've been adopted by God, we live as though it's up to us to earn our keep and stay in the family. I believe that's what Paul is talking about. I believe that Paul is saying, you are trying to strive to earn the very thing that God has already done for you. You're trying to do it by your performance. Now imagine if I walk into a hospital and I put on a doctor's coat and I say all the right things and I do, and I, I do enough of the right things and no one asks deeper questions, everyone's going to assume that I'm what? A doctor. I think the same is true for many of us. We walk into church and we have Christian clothes on. We say enough of the right things. We do enough of the right activities. And if no one asks deeper questions of what our functional trust is actually in, everyone just assumes that we're a child of God. So this morning, I want us to actually uncover how many of us are putting our functional trust in something other than Jesus. And where does that need to shift? Where am I putting my trust in, my identity in where I live or where my kids go to school or how much money I have or the car I drive or my career or how much I'm achieving or how much I'm accomplishing? Where are we putting that in our trust? So the core question I believe that many of us are asking is actually the religious question. Many of us are asking, am I enough? Am I doing enough? How much is enough? I believe that's what many of us are wrestling with this morning. But that question 
is a religious question because it's centered in self. It's centered in how much do I have to do to earn God's love? How much do I have to do to have peace? How much do I have to do? Is this enough? Is this enough? Is this enough? It's asking that to the core. And it's standing here on this insecure foundation. But the question that the gospel presents to us is not centered in us at all. It's based in what God has already done for us. It actually is this question. Do you believe that God is a good father who loves you? I believe that is the identity question that the gospel is asking. It's not centered in what you do. It's centered in what God has already done for you. And so the question that poses to us is, do you believe that God is a good father who loves you? And are you going to receive that? The previous question is focusing on what we do. The latter question is focusing on, will we resist the work that God has already done? Or will we receive it? Now, for those of you who are on uh, this journey of faith and discovering uh, this, and I'm so glad that you're here in the gospel series, because there's many, uh, there's something that's been going uh, around that I, I just want to address real quick, that Many uh, people are saying that everyone is a child of God. Now, I want to talk about what, what the scriptures say is that not everyone is a child of God until we put our faith and trust in Christ. Everyone is created in the image of God, so we have great value because we're created in the image of God, but you're not a child of God. What 1 John 1.12 says is you, those who receive him and believe in his name become children of God. So it's only by actively putting our faith and trust in Christ that we actually have the right to become children of God, that we are adopted into his family. Now, the reason why that is a big difference is because that changes our identity. The previous one is, is focused on us, and God is on the outside, and we're trying to earn his acceptance. The second is, is that God has already done everything that we need to be his children. We just have to receive it by faith, on grace, not on our performance. I'm going to speak to the teenagers here for a second. There are no grandchildren in the kingdom of God. You cannot inherit your parents' faith. It has to be you personally saying, I want God to be my good father. I trust that he did everything on my behalf. Some of you in this room, some of us in our church, and this is, this is me too, are striving and trying to be good enough before we come to God. You can't. Some of you are trying to save yourself. You can't. Some of you are holding on to bitterness and anger and unforgiveness and you have this list against God and this list against others and this list against people in the church of hypocrites and this list and these projections of, of who you think God is and, and he has to change before you would ever, you will never find freedom until you let down that list. Your functional trust may be within yourself, trying to improve yourself, trying to be good enough. But maybe this morning is the first time that we actually get really honest in, in our mess and in our internal reality, instead of just trying to like put it all and present like who we want others to see us as or present ourselves and project ourselves to others, maybe this morning you just get really honest 
with the doubts, the fears, the anger, the resentment. And you actually, for the first time, have this honest prayer to God about what you're doing. You're trying to, trying to make yourself the Savior or you're trying to present yourself in this performance base. But turning to God in the midst of your mess and your confusion, of your doubts, of your fears, of your struggles, of your sins, is grace. I hope that you hear the voice of Jesus speaking into the mess right now internally, into your anxieties, into your fear, into your anger. He says, Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we live fixed in what we do, fixed in this insecure, performance-based faith, we have this view of God that he is always disappointed with us. And we have to get it all together before we would come to him. Or we project or we project this view onto others. I believe that we treat others the way that we think God views us. So the way that I would do it is if I'm basing my worth and value and identity and what I accomplish and and if I'm influencing, if I'm doing all those things, it's based on my work. And then I would hold other people to that same standard. And I'd be criticizing them and their worth and identity and value is on what they did. But that is not the gospel. So this morning, maybe it feels like God's on the outside of your life. You're on this faith journey and, and you're just like, you know, it feels like I've, I've felt nudging from God. I felt conviction from God, but I've never felt peace. I've never felt that God loves me. And so maybe this morning you get honest and maybe it's because you've never invited God to the interior of your life. At the core, guys, at the core, I believe that the question that God is asking us today is, do you believe that I am a good father who loves you, who has done everything already for you to be reconciled to me? You will not and cannot feel the peace of God and become a child of God until you take that step of faith. But for those of you who have taken that step of faith, but you're really, honestly, if we're we're getting honest before God, it's, that was something I did a long time ago. But the gospel isn't what has my foundation today. And you needed to be reminded that you received it, but it's not what you're standing on. I'm standing on this person's approval of me, or I'm standing on financial security, or I'm standing on my health or my looks or my reputation or whatever it is that you're standing on and it only leads to bondage. And it's only when we say that this is built on a lie. That even if I had this amount of money in the bank, I still would not be satisfied. Even if I had this person's approval, it would just go fleeting because as soon as they go to something else, I would need to earn it back. Whatever it is, until we realize that the thing that we're standing on without Christ is the cornerstone, it's bankrupt. It will only enslave, and it's built on a lie. This is fixed on what we do. But will you actively shift your trust to what Christ has done? This is centered in what we do, 
This is centered in what God has already done. I'm going to ask the, the band to come up and I want us just to, in these moments, just explore together what it would look like for us to believe and trust and receive the gospel. So this morning, I want you to ask the question, do you believe that God loves you? Will you believe and receive his love for you in Christ? See, I believe at this moment, the heart of the question of the gospel is, will you receive what has already been done? Or are you going to continue striving over here in your performance? Honestly, when someone exposed this of where I was trusting in my performance and they showed me that, it honestly felt like my identity was so centered in this that to give this up felt so unsure. It felt scary. This is what I had done my entire life is based it in my performance. Some of us are living where we're trying to hold on to this and we're trying to make a step like this, and that is not faith. Where is our identity rooted? What has our functional trust? Would you pray with me? God, I believe at this moment, this divine moment, you are inviting us. God, you initiate toward us even in our brokenness, even where we doubt, even where we put our functional trust in something that is so fleeting, God, would you, by your spirit, even reveal and pinpoint where that is in us? God, for those where it feels like you are on the outside of their lives, would they invite you to the interior? God, would they receive your work on their behalf that they would take a step of faith and trust you and become children, your children, deeply loved. That's not rooted in us, but centered in you. Would we abandon our self-sufficiency, our self-saving efforts, our self-righteousness, our pride, and come and respond to the voice of Jesus that calls us to believe something that is so much beyond us? When we stand on our identity rooted in temporary things, our functional trust, wherever we're placing it, we experience this limited power. But God, when we take a step in faith to you, it is, it is only what you can do. God, you are a good father. It's what you reveal to us in your word to us. It's who you are. Would our identity, our response this morning be to shift our identity from our performance to being loved by you and what you have done for us on the cross, that it is more than enough? Would we believe it and embrace Christ's work for us? Would we repent, turn, and believe the gospel? Not just something we believed in the past, but would we rest in that this morning? Would we trust in that this morning? Today is a day of freedom for many of us. Today is a day of salvation for some of us. 
So God, would we respond by your spirit leading us this morning? Maybe as an act of faith, we just turn in our chairs and and just kneel before him and confess and shift our trust. We're going to sing this song over us this morning.